Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Visit the Vendor Process Training Center to enroll in your choice of 55 plus training sessions that will help you and your team avoid fraud, compliance fines, and bad vendor data. Or just sign up to get access to Vendor Process FAQs and to attend weekly drop-in live Q&A sessions. Visit training.deborahrrichardson.com today. The link will be in the show notes. It is that time of year again. Yes, time to clean the vendor master file. And stick around to the end because I'll tell you where you can spend 30 minutes and get some great resources and tools to help with the process. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 208. It's time to clean your vendor master file updated for 2022. So every year I do the same podcast around the same time. I think it might be a little earlier this year uh, about how to uh, clean your vendor master file. And I give the steps and I update it based on whatever's gone on throughout the year. And so I do have a couple of updates for 2022. Now, most of you, if you have been around listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I previously was an accounts payable senior manager. I was responsible for over 140,000 active vendor records across, I don't know, between five and seven ERPs, depending on, you know, if I was in between mergers and acquisitions. Uh, But October and November was always go time. And we did have, or I did have a process in place where the vendor master files were to be cleaned for each of those on a monthly basis. But this was the time that if it wasn't done for whatever reason, um, or there were any issues that had not been resolved yet, like vendor validations that weren't done or that weren't successful and they weren't able to contact the vendor. This was really go time where we had to make decisions. And so October, November was it. And it actually started like September, October, depending on when the IRS issued their publication 1220, because at that point we identify what changes need to be made in our ERPs to comply with that year's 1099 form. And at that time for us, it was the 1099 MISC. Uh, But for you, it may be the 1099 MISC and the 1099 NEC form. Now, these were, we had to 
do this because we had the 1099 MISC embedded in a couple of our ERPs. And so we needed to make sure that we waited on publication 1220 to see how we needed to update the forms that were embedded in the accounting system or ERPs. And then also whatever updates were required for the file that we generated in the accounting system or ERPs that we uploaded to IRS's fire system. And then of course, we had to make sure that we were ready to test and then test in the fire system before that went offline. It was just a lot to do in that time period. And it's not just the IRS and the federal reporting, it's also state reporting as well. Both the state and federal um, reporting requires accurate vendor master file data, and that is the legal name and tax ID combination. So if you want to avoid penalties for correction filings and avoid subsequent team member non-value added work, right, going through the B notice when you have to uh, reach out to these vendors because the legal and legal name and tax ID combination didn't match. So you don't want to go through that. You don't want to pay, have correction filings and uh, risk penalties from the IRS. And then also the addresses. You want to make sure that when you send out your 1099 MISC and 1099 NEC and any other 1099 forms that you send to these vendors that you're not going to get them back because uh, the addresses were not valid. And that is a lot of rework when you get those back because you have to retain them, which means you have to, uh, you have to get them in. You have to, we used to log them uh, and then we would upload them to the vendor record uh, as support. And then comes the other real work with identifying the correct address and then resending it. So legal name and tax ID combination and addresses were really the key pieces that you need for uh, state reporting. But don't get me wrong, the cleaning up the vendor master file is not all about cleaning it up just for state and federal reporting. It still needs to remain active to avoid fraud, uh, fines, and just overall bad vendor data. So let's talk about an eight-step process to clean your vendor master file. And again, I recommend that these are done on a monthly basis. Uh, We used to do that when I was a practitioner, but I did have a lot of staff. I had 17 vendor team members, and that may seem like a lot, and it really was. However, we also had, if you remember, 140,000 active vendor records across five to seven ERPs. And I will tell you, no one wanted the job of cleaning the vendor master file nor being the backup for someone else because it's mostly a manual process. And you'll see that as we walk through it. All right. So eight steps to clean your vendor master file. So the first step is inactivate vendors that have not had activity in 15, 18, or 24 months. And what I'm really talking about is activity across at least four areas. So that's purchase order activity, invoice activity, 
payment activity, and then also take a look at the last modified date or whatever that field is called when you update the vendor record. Because the one of the big points is to make sure that they have updated information because you don't want that information being stale. Uh, you also want to make sure that you don't have vendors that you haven't used in a long time just out and open and active that uh, because at that point there's they are susceptible to both internal and external fraud. So you want to make sure you inactivate your vendors and you can pick what the inactivity threshold is, 15, 18, or 24 months. The less months you do, the less active vendors, which is always good for fraud. But you don't want to go to 12 um, because you do have, uh, you probably have some annual vendor payments you have to make. But 15, 18, or 24 usually works well. And 24 months is probably what I see most often. Now, once you've inactivated your vendors and you do want to do that first, because that reduces the number of vendors that you have to take through the remaining seven steps. All right. So step two is the IRS 10 match. And I say IRS 10 match as opposed to any of the other countries, because again, this is uh, what is required for IRS reporting, right? That legal name tax ID combination. You do want to make sure it's valid. If you're sending out 1099s, if you're sending out 1042s, yes. And I didn't mention 1042s, but there are, you know, you've got to send those out as well. And some of those uh, foreign vendors or non-U.S. vendors do have tax IDs. So it's both the U.S. and non-U.S. or foreign payees. And uh, it's also uh, for the 1042s in addition to the 1099s. All right. Step three is the address status and standardization. And yes, I did say status. So the standardization, uh, making sure it's formatted correctly, really helps to ensure that your uh, mailed forms, 1099s, 1042s, will not be delayed and won't come back. But another piece of that is the status. So there is uh, a resource that I'll talk about upcoming that has will allow you to check the status of the address. And that means that it'll tell you if the address is mailable. But not only that, it'll tell you if the address is vacant, if it's inactive, or if it's a P.O. box only. And P.O. box only really doesn't have a lot to do with the 1099 forms, but it can be a great way to identify potential, like a potential red flag for fraud, because sometimes P.O. box onlys uh, can be used by fraudulent or fraudsters or cyber criminals to hide the fact that, you know, they don't, they are a fraudster because they don't have a physical address. And so if you do have vendors that do not have a physical address, then you want to make sure you collect one. Now with the inactivation of vendor records, which really doesn't have a lot to do with the reporting side, but with the inactivation of vendor records, with the uh, IRS 10 match being done, with the address status and standardization being done, you really could stop at step three if all you're doing is getting ready for the 1099 or the 1042 filings uh, season. But I recommend, and you knew I would, 
continuing through the remaining steps. And the remaining steps are primarily validations, which means that you can do them uh, in any order. So step four, five, six, and seven is, you know, you can do these in whatever order you you have them, you know, you want to do them in. But I put them in uh, this specific order. Doesn't mean you can't change it around. So step four is validating bank details. So this means validating bank branch details because the routing numbers can change as banks merge and are acquired. And that does happen um, very often. And vendors never seem to tell you that. You only find that out when you send a pay file with the old routing number in there. And then you get a notification back to say that uh, they either changed it so that payment can be successful or they didn't change it and they uh, sent the payment back as not being successful, right? The payment failed. So you do want to make sure you check that. The good news is, is that many of your vendors will share the same bank. So if you uh, update the routing number or the bank branch details for one, you can do it for multiple vendors at the same time. The bad news is, is I don't know any resource that will let you do a bulk upload of bank routing numbers. So we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about some resources for that. But the other piece of the uh, validating banking details is the bank ownership validation. So uh, validating that your vendor actually does own, right, does have or is connected to that account to make sure that you're eliminating fraud. And so if you have a subscription, if you're able to do that, I would do that um, at the time that you do your vendor master file cleanups. Although I'll leave that piece up to you because I think those services charge based on the volume of the, or the number of lookups. And then also if you are using those and if you are able to do a bulk upload, uh, shoot me an email or comment on whatever platform you are you are listening to this podcast on because I'd love to hear that. I don't know if they have the ability to do a bulk upload. I think they do, but I've never known anyone that actually has used it. So if you do have the ability to do bank account ownership validation, this is a great time to verify or to make sure that no fraudulent banking information has made it into your vendor master file. The next one, step five, is validate your vendors and your vendor's bank against the OFAC or uh, their consolidated list. So you want to confirm that your existing vendors have not been added to watch lists post-vendor setup or the last time you checked. And I will tell you that the OFAC uh, came out or I saw it either as an alert somewhere or maybe it was in some type of an article or press release that the OFAC uh, watch list, their consolidated list, have grown since the Russian invasion on Ukraine. So those lists were never static anyway. That's why, you know, you need to keep checking. But especially now, if you know you haven't uh, verified or validated your vendors aren't on those watch lists in a while, it's time to do that. And you also need to check foreign uh, financial institutions as well, because 
the, uh, OFAC has a capitalist, and I don't know what the acronym is for it, but it, it's uh, but they have a capitalist, and that capitalist has foreign financial institutions that you are not allowed to pay. So you want to check that uh, as well. Make sure you check your foreign financial institutions that you have in your vendor master file. Check those uh, against OFAC along with all of your vendor legal names. All right, the next one is step six, and that is to validate tax registration numbers for international non-U.S. foreign vendors. And those are things like confirming the VAT numbers are still active for vendors in countries that use a VAT, like the U.K., Uh, maybe the business number for your vendors that are in Canada, Uh, maybe your GST numbers, right? Your goods and services tax numbers for your vendors that are in India and really any other applicable registration numbers for vendors in other countries. They do have them uh, out there, right? It's not all about the IRS tax ID There are other registration numbers or vendor registration numbers that you need to collect at vendor setup and then also continue to verify that they remain valid. And it may not be needed, right, for the IRS 1042 forms, right, for the distribution and the filing, but it could help other groups in your country or not your country, in your company, such as the tax teams, right, that may have to report on taxes paid in order to reclaim uh, reclaim them. So this is a great time to check those uh, non U.S. non-IRS tax ID or registration numbers for your international foreign or non-U.S. vendors. Okay, now step seven is really a catch-all. This is where you validate other regulatory or other parties that might be uh, unique to your industry or your company. So whatever validations that you currently do that I did not mention lump them into step seven. So this can be those validations for things that you might get off of Den and Bradstreet, such as credit worthiness, or maybe you're using Den and Bradstreet's hierarchy so that you can uh, do parent uh, reporting, right? So you can do supplier reporting at a higher level, uh, or maybe you are a healthcare organization or you receive federal funds, so you may need to add in the officer or the officer, the Office of Inspector General, OIG, their exclusion list, or the System of Award Management, SAM, their exclusion list, uh, because if you are receiving federal funds, you are not to pay vendors that are on uh, those exclusion lists. So you would need to add those in and include any documents that you collect, such as insurance certificates. Not quite sure. I've kind of never done that when I've dealt with uh, vendors. But if you do, then you can include that in this step. And I don't quite know what the timing would be for that. But if you are performing this on a regular basis, add it to whatever time period is um, works for the collection of those insurance certificates. All right, so the next step, which is the last step, step eight, analyzing vendor records. This is where you take all of those validations, 
for all of the vendors, you should have one master working Excel or Google Sheets file, but you take all of that information and you start to analyze those vendor records. So what you're doing here is you're researching duplicate vendors, you're adding missing information such as emails. And I do have a podcast episode, episode 146 on nine ways to collect missing vendor email addresses. And so if you need that, go ahead and listen to episode 146. And that can really help you if you are trying to deliver your vendor 1099s as electronic um, statements or electronically. And so you do need the email addresses for that. So this is a great time to review the missing data to identify those vendors that did not pass validations. Uh, And for those vendors that did not pass validations, you'll want to send them emails and whatever they didn't pass, make sure that you are uh, requiring the same data or the same uh, forms that you require for them to be uh, collected in the first place. So a long way to say, if you require a W-9 when, and you should, when you're setting up vendors, if their 10 match came back and it was not successful, require a W-9 to be submitted in order to update their information. Same thing with banking information, not necessarily the routing numbers because you can just update that. But if you did, if you do have access to do the bank account ownership validation and it failed, then send them a vendor banking form. Should be a company branded ACH form. Uh, that's my recommendation and have, uh, have them complete that and send it to you. All right. So you're following up on vendors that have either missing information or failed validations. The other thing that you do here is you're checking for duplicate vendors and make sure you're checking at least three ways you're checking based on tax ID, based on vendor legal name, and then also based on address. And the address may be a little bit easier to find a duplicate vendors now because you have standardized and formatted all of your addresses. And so it might be easier to find duplicates. Now, I do want to say with duplicate vendors, it can be a touchy subject uh, because depending on your accounting system or ERP, you may be required to set up multiple vendors with the same tax ID, uh, for example, if you're, uh, you have multiple addresses or if, you know, you have a different payment method. And that could even be true where you have systems that have a, you don't need to have a different uh, vendor record for additional addresses, but you may need to have an additional address or different, uh, additional payment location if they have a remit address, a different remit address for check payments, if they have a different, uh, if they want to be paid by a different payment method, if they want to be paid in a different currency. I know systems out there are all kind, are all different, but you do need to make sure that you find a way for your system 
to identify duplicates. And one example uh, that I'd like to give is I did a vendor master file cleanup for a client that had Oracle. And as you know, Oracle uh, has site IDs and I don't remember the version of it, but I think it was the online version. But in any event, uh, Oracle has site IDs and they have multiple site IDs per vendor record. And so you also want to check for duplicates at the address level if that's applicable for your accounting system or ERP. And it is for Oracle. So I checked uh, the site ID, but you could have different sites uh, for the same address if there's a different payment method and if there is a different currency. And so what I did is I concatenated those fields that would be that are valid to be different. And then I use that concatenated field, if I'm saying that right, as the way to find the duplicate. So find a way to identify duplicates in your ERP, whatever that's like. And I know a lot of you out there use SAP and the partnering um, and the relationships. And so find a way in your system that you need to find duplicates. And once you do find the duplicates, keep in mind that you need to identify one, if it's a truly a valid uh, duplicate vendor record or records, and then if so, which one is going to survive? And the ones that are not going to survive, if they have open POs, pending invoices, uh, anything that's outstanding, you probably won't be able to inactivate it anyway until you move that to the vendor record that is going to survive. So you do have some work to do in step eight. Yes, it's the last step, but it's the one that probably takes the longest and not because you have to find the duplicates, but because you're waiting on these vendors to follow up with you, right? You've reached out to them to request information so that you can update your records when those validations failed or if you're missing data and they just don't respond in a timely basis. I will say that, one of my recommendations, and we used to do this, but we couldn't do it with all vendors, is to put an expiration date or a deadline date on the vendor record. Now, this may need to be case by case uh, because some of your vendors might be strategic vendors. You may not be able to do that. But if you think about it, right, if you have a remittance address for a check payment, and yes, I know we also have check payments, but if you have a remittance address that is showing a status of vacant, you definitely do not want to send a payment to that vendor. So at some point you have to determine, it could, and again, it could be on a case-by-case basis. If you're going to put that vendor record on hold, if you are going to inactivate that vendor record because the information is not valid, you do need to decide that as a part of this step. But waiting for the vendors to send that information back is probably the longest piece of it. And I get people asking me all the time how long this process takes. And one time I said three weeks and I could just hear the silent gas because, again, I am recommending that you do this process on a monthly basis. And if it takes three weeks and heck, you're almost hiring like one person just to do that. So to clarify that three weeks is uh, if you haven't done your vendor master file cleanup like all year um, or maybe ever, right? Maybe you inherited the 
vendor master file. And now you've got to go through and do this cleanup. But once you get into in the groove of doing it, and the more often you do it, the less time it's going to take you because the less issues you're going to have, you would have resolved each one as they came up on a monthly basis, right? If you did it on a monthly basis. So typically doing it on a monthly basis, it probably takes about two to three days to do the validations, right? To do the validations and to create that master file with the validations that you now need to review in step eight. The rest of the piece is really reviewing it and then reaching out um, to the vendors. And that part will probably take the rest of the week. So I would say uh, a week's time where they're kind of almost 90% dedicated to this vendor master file cleanup. And then the other weeks of the month, you are waiting on follow-up information from the vendors that you reached out to uh, because information was missing or the validations weren't correct. So my answer to that is it'll take about one week of dedicated time, again, depending on how often you do it. Uh, And then the rest of the time is waiting for and then following back up with those vendors that you reached out to to get that updated information. So those were the eight steps to clean your vendor master file. Now, as I promised, it's time to talk about where you can get updated resources and tools to help you with those validations. Now, I have a vendor validation reference list, and this is a free download. If you go to my site, I'll put a link in the show notes. And for those of you that have already downloaded it, You want to download it again because it's been updated with additional uh, references and links out to those references. So on this uh, validation reference list, I have 24, 26 different references or resources with the links that you can use to do the IRS 10 match, to do the address uh, status and standardization. It's a company called Smarty. Uh, I also have links to where you can validate the routing numbers for um, U.S., for Canada, and then also for those non-U.S. or international countries that do not use an IBAN. So make sure you download that for some references uh, or some resources to do your validations. And then I have a webinar coming up on December 8th, and I know that's a ways away, but it's called Vendor Master File Cleanup Tools, Validate Vendor Data, Find Missing Vendor Data, and Identify duplicates. So I'll have some tools, including I may end up doing a demo. I don't know because I'm only doing it for 30 minutes and I want to make sure I get everything in there because there are some new tools out there that will do things that you're looking for now, such as identifying, right, those diverse vendors that are in your vendor master file. There's a resource to find uh, vendor or global vendor registration numbers for 100 plus countries. There is a resource to check for just missing information 
that came out of that financial crisis of 2008. Now, some of these things are on the vendor validation list and some of some of them are not. I have an Excel add-in that I'll talk about to find help you find duplicates. And I'll try to demo that like I did before. I've had this webinar on, I think back in 2020, but you know, we have updates, but I'll try to demo the fuzzy match on an Excel add-in so you can see how you can find those uh, duplicate vendors based on legal name, but it doesn't sort right when you do a sort. So this would be like if you had a vendor called a cafe or let's say pizza parlor, but someone else put it in as the pizza parlor. If you sorted it, it would never come up, but it will come up with this fuzzy match add-in. And so I'll try to demo that as well. So I will have a link to that webinar in the show notes. So make sure you register if you are interested. All right, so a longer podcast today, but I hope you got some great information to take back. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 208th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.